I picked up the phone and um, someone said, you know, Madeleine Albright's chief of staff. Hello, I'm Jessica Cadso-Collins and this is the Inside the Jewel Vault podcast. Each episode, I ask my guests to choose the six gems or jewels they would put into their fantasy jewel vault. I hope you enjoy listening. This episode of Inside the Jewel Vault with Vivian Becker was recorded remotely. I am delighted to welcome Vivian Becker to the Jewel Vault, an authority on jewellery history and design, a leading journalist and jewellery historian. Vivian has encountered an incredible array of jewels and designers in her 40-year career in jewellery. Since working for an antiques jewellery dealer as a teenager, Vivian was hooked as much by the personalities of the trade as the jewels themselves. She became a journalist specialising in jewellery and wrote her first book in 1980, Antique and 20th Century Jewellery, which is held as the standard work on the topic. Since then, she has written 15 other volumes, including one with US Secretary of State Madeleine Albright and contributed to many more. Her articles on everyone from Lawrence Graff to René Lalique are commissioned by the top titles of the world's press. For four decades, Vivian has curated exhibitions, judged awards and lectured, earning a global reputation as the expert's expert, a discerning arbiter of talent, trends and outstanding design. Welcome, Vivian. I can't wait to see what you've chosen for us inside your jewel vault. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, you really are the authority I turn to time and time again, and have done, actually, right from the very beginning of my own career when I was 18. You've devoted your whole life to jewellery, haven't you? Who or what has inspired this long career? First of all, thank you so much for all the all the compliments. Um, and I have to say that um, yeah, I've been learning for all those years, for the 40 years, um, and as much as I've learned, there's so much more to learn and I think that's that's what keeps me going and that's what inspires me um day to day that I feel I'm extremely lucky in the in the job that I do involves studying and learning um every single day um in terms of who inspires me well you know going right back to the beginning of course I did start by working in the antique jewelry trade when I was uh, when I was young I was about 18 and took a holiday job and of course that was my that was my first inspiration and then I got really hooked on jewelry history um I stayed there I I actually <laughs> uh, rebelled against my teachers and my family I didn't go to university um I just stumbled on I stumbled on such an an incredible kind of what you call it an, almost a subculture which I'm sure you'll understand Jessica of antique jewelry dealers who welcomed me with open arms into their into their fold and um I loved it so much that I stayed for nearly three years and um that's really what inspired me and still inspires me um every day wow and after that I did manage to get a job um as a fashion assistant on a on a on a women's magazine through through a friend um, and that was my start in journalism. It is, it is quite interesting that um, I, um, yeah, I just always wanted to be a journalist or a writer uh, at, at that time. And it was uh, the National Magazine Company, which is Hearst. And I, at the photocopying machine one day, 
I saw a man with headed uh, notepaper, photocopying headed notepaper, and it was headed up antique collector. And um, very shyly, uh, I said, oh, I used to work in the antiques market. Can I write an article for you? And he said, yes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, this is easy. Everyone says it's hard to get into journalism. And anyway, I did find out the next day that the poor man had been made editor of the newly acquired magazine called Antique Collector. And, um, you know, that meant that's why he was photocopying some notepaper. And um, he would have said yes to anyone who'd offered him an article because he suddenly had to fill, <laughs> fill a magazine with articles. So, um, wow. It was just yeah, a bit of lucky timing, I think. Yeah, the law of asking, I think it's called. Um, and yeah, that was, that was my first article. And um, then I eventually joined his, his staff on Antique Collector um, and, then, and then started freelancing. But I just yeah carried on writing about antique jewellery and then perhaps more, more recently contemporary jewellery but always with a historical perspective. Well do tell us about this first beautiful piece that you put into your jewel vault. So I've started with um, yeah something really spectacular I think and um, the, the, the dragonfly female corsage ornament that is by my all-time hero, René Lalique, um, and it's mm -hmm. in the uh, collection of the Gulbenkian Museum in, in Lisbon. Um, and for me, it is perhaps the most staggering piece of art jewellery that's uh, ever created, or should we say yet, yet created. We don't know what's, uh, what's, what's going to become. But I, um, yeah, as I mentioned, I am... Um, through collectors and through my studies, I became entranced with Art Nouveau jewellery, um, jewellery that was made for a very brief time, very sh short but intense time of creativity from, say, 1892 to 1910. Um, and I did. I was lucky enough to meet a, a, a collector in the States who opened up his collection for me. And together we realised there was no book on on Art Nouveau jewellery. So I embarked on that study. It took me took me a long time. Took me several years. Um, and after that, I was invited by the Goldsmiths Company to curate an exhibition of the jewels of René Lalique. And obviously, Lalique was the the leader of of Art Nouveau jewellery. Um, I was young. I was I I was young. It was an in, incredible. Um, commission I was very very fortunate and um, as the exhibition we were also very fortunate to work with the Gulbenkian Foundation. Um, um, Mr Gulbenkian who I don't know if you know he was a great oil magnate was known as Mr Mr Five Percent um, great he was a great collector um, from from around that time from you know, around 1900 um, and he he spotted Lalique's talent and he commissioned from him um, a series of um, extraordinary, something like 150 extraordinary art jewels, which are now in the Gulbenkian Museum. And the centerpiece of that collection is this dragonfly woman corsage ornament. These were conceived as, as pure works of art. Um, and, you know, I guess it was the kind of commission that every artist dreams of you know money no object um no yeah 
no limitations on um, creativity or imagination, um, and with the result that the, the Gulbenkian collection is an extraordinary um, vision of the artistry of jewels. I think, you know, they're, they're definitely the greatest art jewels uh, that exist at the moment. You've written over 15 titles under your own name and then contributed to many, many more. And you've covered such astonishing topics and, and so many incredible personalities. Which of them was your favourite to write, do you think? Yeah, they were all fascinating in, in, their, in their own way. Um, I was uh, lucky enough, privileged enough to be invited to collaborate with Secretary of State Madeleine Albright um, <laughs> on a book about her, about her brooches. I remember the phone call very well. My, my daughter was, was very young. I think I was feeding her fish fingers. <laughs> Supper time, tea time, picked up the phone and um, someone said, you know, Madeleine Albright's chief of staff, as, as you do. <laughs> um, they asked if I would be interested in collaborating with um, Secretary Albright on a book about her brooches. And um, so that was the start of an amazing adventure. Wow. And it was completely fascinating for me, yeah. Such an incredible personality as well, isn't she? She's a true inspiration on, on, every, on every level. Um, and um, I went to meet her. You can imagine how, <laughs> how, how nervous I was when she was in London. Um, just to see if we would we would get on. Um, I was incredibly nervous. She had a beautiful brooch on. Then afterwards, she said she was she was nervous in case I didn't uh, <laughs> I didn't like her brooch enough. So um, uh, yeah, it was wonderful. I spent some time in Washington with her, going through the collection, listening to all her incredible stories. How fascinating they were. Um, and she's a wonderful woman. She's, uh, she has an extraordinary ability to move from being very serious, very profound. Um, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, she's just um, supremely articulate when it comes to international relations. And then she can switch in an instant to, be, to being mischievous, witty, funny, you know, with a wicked sense of humour. So it was really, really, really great, great fun. And, uh, and and a true privilege, true yeah, privilege. It must have been. Um, and um, so you've also written about all sorts of people, new um, talents like Michelle Ong as well. How did you find, um, I mean, because she has a sort of dreamscape. All her jewels are astonishingly um, imaginative. She is, she's a great, great talent. Um, and, um, you know, I'm glad to say as well, she's also now a great friend and... Um, we we were introduced, um, gosh, it's some many years ago by um, Joel Rosenthal of, of Jar, the great Jar, who I have to say it was mm -hmm. also thanks to Joel that um, Secretary Albright um, uh, invited me to to work with her. Um, so Joel has been he has been an amazing mentor of mine. So Vivian, you've started us off with a spectacular jewel. So please tell us about piece number two in your jewel vault. And this is an amazing piece by the designer um, you were just talking about, the enigmatic jar. Yeah, I guess everyone knows that Joe and Joel Rosenthal, whose initials make up the name Jar, who's just about the most famous jeweller on, on the planet. But not only that, I mean, he's a true genius and um, 
in terms of jewellery history, I can I can safely say that he 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 changed the course of contemporary jewellery history when he started in the eighties and and nineties to come up with um, an entirely new vision for 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 jewellery design that was. Um, that was layered with historical and cultural references that was that was rich um, rich and emotive you know at a time when jewelry was was you know in the 80s all about what can you call it just sort of linear surface stylism and I always say that jewelry at that time wasn't really about anything and Joel started telling stories through through jewelry um, he's he is an artist um, and I think single-handedly he transformed the jewel into into a work of art again as as Lalique had done in in his time so every so often our world throws up a genius like this so tell us about the the piece yes well I think um this is interesting because it tells a, a an, another story it joins sort of two parts of my um of my work because it's an Indian-inspired jewel and it's one of the masterpieces that's in the Altani collection, you know, of um, Indian jeweled arts. So, um, yeah, so the, this piece has got a double double meaning for me because I was invited to uh, catalogue the contemporary pieces in the Altani collection and this is one of them. And... Um, it's a brooch, obviously, of Indian inspiration. Um, it's got an architectural silhouette uh, in the form of um, an Indian arch, an arched window, a cusped arch, so beautifully curvaceous. And what's so incredible about it, in terms of the uh, in terms of the technique and the storytelling, is that the front of it is is composed of slices of pure, very pure rock crystal over white agate. Um, and at the centre is an octagonal emerald, uh, an antique emerald. And the back of the, the brooch is in a kind of gold openwork to, to represent a pierced screen, you know, the, the, the jali of, um, of the Indian um, harem. Um, and you know the it's the it's the combination of the theme and the technique um that is really so breathtaking i think it just as as only joel can do really captures the the flavor the romance the whole emotional and sensory impact of of india uh, and and its and its culture yeah and inviting you to keep looking and look again yes yes love that yes yes and i mean such a wonderful piece yeah and the, the technique is incredible and you know ja has done this he's he pushes his his artisans to absolute perfection and when he has an idea in his head he he continues and continues um, until he brings that to fruition until he finds the the craftsman who can um, you know, make his his dreams come mm. true. So exacting, yeah. Well, your third piece in the Jewel Vault is by jeweler Daniel Brush, who is just as much a perfectionist as Joel Rosenthal, but he works each piece by hand himself. So please tell us about the jewel you've chosen and a bit more about Daniel. He's an artist jeweler you've written a book about too, isn't he? The book on Daniel Brush was one of my most recent books, and and I have to say, yeah, it was. 
it felt like the culmination, although I haven't finished my career yet, but it definitely felt like uh, the, the culmination of, of everything I had I'd worked on up until that point. Um, Daniel, how do you describe him? You know, he is, he is the ultimate Renaissance man. He's, um, he's a fascinating, he's a towering intellect and an extraordinary craftsman. But even more than that, he's a sort of poet and philosopher and his ideas about jewellery have inspired me and he's helped me to think about jewellery in different ways. He's, he's pushed me to, to question a lot of uh, preconceptions um, and I absolutely treasure all the time that I have spent with him. And so I've included in my, in my jewel box one of his carved steel poppy brooches um so i think part of his his philosophy is to, is to challenge perceptions of preciousness of value to question what we the, the values that that we put on jewelry what actually makes them what makes them valuable and um he has spent many years uh, exploring steel um gosh there's so much to say about daniel i think of it as his quest for um enlightenment and he created this series of what I think ravishingly beautiful, poetic, cut, carved and engraved steel and diamond set poppies. Um, and what, I love the idea of transformation in jewellery, which, um, again, that first Lalique corsage ornament is, is all about metamorphosis. So Daniel certainly manages to transform a hard, tough, industrial, intransigent material, steel, into something light and uh, limpid and, and soft and, and sensual like the, like the poppy. Um, and uh, yeah, I just think that that element of metamorphosis is, is really part of the, the story of the jewel. He hand carves everything. He works, in, he doesn't, um, the word designer is anathema to him. He's, he's an artist. He, he just will pick up a piece of metal and works straight into it um he just follows wherever his hand and heart and eye takes him the other important point to make is that he he sets these jewels with um, antique indian emeralds emeralds uh, diamonds so they have a very very soft soft and secretive sheen to them and daniel has also come up with um, an ingenious way of wearing a brooch uh, by attaching a magnet to it so that there's no pin and it doesn't, uh, you know, ruin your clothes. Yeah, so so we've got one of his pieces, one of his poppies in your fantasy jewel vault. And I can see a bit of a brooch theme developing here, Vivian, because you've also got another brooch. It's the fourth one in your jewel vault. Oh, yes. And it's a very exquisite piece by Boucheron. Is that right? Yeah, so this for me is the quintessential um, Art Deco jewel. And um, I guess the reason I, I, I love the brooches or corsage ornaments is that they allow so much freedom. You know, they allow total freedom of expression um, by, the, by the artist and designer. You, have, you, know, you don't have the usual limitations of, of a ring or a necklace uh, size. It really can be, you know, can be anything. Um, and this yeah, corsage ornament was made in 1925 by, by Boucheron, and it was shown at the um, Exposition Universelle, you know, the, the 1925 exhibition in Paris that 
was later to give Art Deco its name. It wasn't called Art Deco at, at the time. These were just modern, modern jewels. Um, and this is, uh, it's a very dramatic hardstone mosaic. It was designed by Lucien Hertz and mounted by a company called um, Bisson. So the, the hard stones have been beautifully carved. And it's again, it's that mix of fluidity, but control. So it's um, really a, a pure composition of form and color and line and texture. Um, and yeah, for me, I just think it is the most sensational of, of Art Deco jewels. I mean, it was an explosion of color that was one of the defining features of, of Art Deco jewelry. And this, this came from the impact of the Ballet Russe, you know, which, which opened in Paris in 1909, I think, Scheherazade. Um, and I always love to imagine the audience that first performance of Scheherazade in Paris would have been, um, the women would have been dressed uh, in, you know, Belle Epoque costume, very refined, very pale, very, very proper, very um, ladylike tightly laced into their into their corsets and then on the stage in front of them and often try and imagine what that would have been like was this absolute vision of vibrant color and sensuality and stylization um and i think it's it's you know it's impossible to overestimate the impact that the ballet russe had on all of the decorative design and I think you can see see the impact in this in this wonderful jewel by by Boucheron. Um, the, another piece that you have in your fantasy jewel vault, which I am longing to hear about, is is a a, a piece from one of the greatest uh, icons of of the twentieth century, Marlene Dietrich. So you've got you've chosen a piece that she owned, is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes, that it was um, that it was made for her. I think it was commissioned for her uh, by Van Cleef and Arpels in 1937. Um, and again, for me, this is really one of the seminal pieces of this. Uh, style that I, I do, it's called retro modern. I tend to call it the cocktail style of the of the late thirties, um, and it was the style that emerged exactly in that year, thirty thirty seven, with um, uh, another exhibition in Paris, and then followed up by the um, by the World's Fair in New York in nineteen. 39 but it, it emerged out of the ashes of um, of art deco it was much more curvaceous uh, much more three-dimensional but still very very stylized um it's a sensational design but i also chose this because it's very important to me to to, to say and to to, to share how jewelry is such a powerful expression of femininity of individuality of individual style and also I just love the way in which jewellery has charted changes or the evolution of femininity or female ideals through the uh, late 19th and and 20th century and and I think that at this time really from from the 1930s onwards certainly right through the the mid-century jewellery became as i say the most perf most powerful expression of individuality and i think that's characteristic of, of of 20th century design in general you know the the whole cult of individuality in terms of the wearer but also the maker 
And this isn't another brooch this time, is it, Vivian? It's a massive bracelet. No, it's it's a bangle. It's a huge cuff cuff bangle. Um, it's of uh, rubies, rubies and diamonds, and I think it really reflects her style. You know, the, what I call her, the taut, tailored glamour. Um, you know, as you know, she she wore very masculine uh, masculine clothes. She had a very very uh, definite point of view, very, very well-defined style. And I think this totally captures that style and, and her character. And so it's got this sort of dynamic swirls of, of rubies, but the, but the outline is very crisp and strong. It's a, it's a yeah, very powerful piece of, piece of jewellery. She wore it often on screen, uh, I think notably in, in Hitchcock's uh, Stage Fright, uh, as lots of the lots of the Hollywood stars did, you know, um, yeah, they wore their own jewelry uh, in the film. It's very, it's very much in her style. It's it's a perfect fusion of Van Cleef and Arpels style and her individuality. So I think it just oozes with Marlene Dietrich. And uh, if you had it to wear, where would you wear it, Vivian? It's definitely evening wear. It's definitely not daytime wear. So um, mm. yeah, you wear it for cocktails dinners although i have to say it's probably the perfect zoom jewel yeah it's uh, yeah. yeah i was just going to say it would certainly cause a, mm. quite a, vi- a good visual impact yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it was very very photogenic and it just became totally uh, associated with with her style with her you know her strength mm-hmm. that kind of t- tailored look tailored femininity yeah. Um, this bangle, a jarretiere, is a very, very stylized version of a, of a buckle, a buckle bangle. So, you know, very, mm-hmm. very stylized, very late 1930s cocktail version. So it's a um, source of great regret to me that our stars don't don't commission, <laughs> don't wear jewellery in, in the same way. It's a, it's, a, it's a great pity. Yes, there seems to be a gulf. Yes. So um, we've looked at... Um, five fabulous pieces. Um, there's another very intriguing um, piece in here. They look incredibly ancient um, um, and completely different at the polar end of, of the Jarretier, um bracelet that you've just told us about. Um, they're a pair of earrings. Tell us more about these. Yes, I, I just have to have something um, ancient in, in my jewel box and these Hellenistic gold earrings that incredibly intricate um and um i do feel that ancient jewelry like this is you know is the, is the template for well for for modernism um in a way when you look at at earrings like this there is there's you know there's nothing better i think they're perfection um in terms of the craftsmanship um the power that they have they're just the, sh- the sheer beauty um and yeah, we're going back to inspiration. Of course, you know, ancient ancient gold work is is a has been an inspiration through the millennia. Um, obviously, to me in my writing, but uh, to the jewelers of the nineteenth century in the archaeological revival period, um, as these ancient treasures were unearthed in the late 18th century and throughout the 19th century, then jewelers were absolutely captivated and thrilled by the beauty and the power. Um, 
and, and the presence of these ancient jewels. And they have always set about trying to recapture and say reproduce, to kind of reproduce the, the gold work, the, the granulation, uh, ancient Etruscan technique of fastening tiny gold granules to surfaces of gold, which is just a very, very complex technique. And it just uh, puzzled goldsmiths for hundreds and hundreds of, of years. So I think these are possibly the best pair of Hellenistic gold earrings, probably from about the fourth century BC that, that exist in the world today. Um, and they're like earrings that were discovered in a, in a burial mound that's now in, in Russia on the Black Sea called the Great Bliznitsa. Um, it was a, there was a Greek settlement of, of goldsmiths um, in, in the 3rd and 4th century BC. And I think um, two, two reasons that I, that I love these. One is that they tell the story of the goldsmiths of, of antiquity, and this is, uh, this is a subject that's particularly important to me because I think the goldsmiths were, were revered at that time. There's the, here is the, the spiritual aspect to jewellery, that ancient goldsmiths were, were revered. They were almost like, like priests, so they were believed to have almost a direct line through their work to, to, the, to the divine, a channel, a channel to the gods. Um, and I love that, that idea that there is this kind of otherworldly spiritual aspect to to goldsmithing. And the other important point about these earrings is that they're in the collection of um, the Albion Art uh, collection in, in Japan, um, which is probably the most important private collection of historic jewels in the world, put together by um, Kazumi Arakawa, who has become a really um, great friend and, and a mentor in, in, in recent years. He has an inc incredible eye and he shares my, he shares my belief in, the, in the, the spirituality, the importance of jewels really beyond uh, being uh, adornment. You know, the, that all jewels really have this talismanic uh, origin to them. So uh, this amazing collection of jewellery in Tokyo, is it, um, is it solely ancient work or does he also collect modern? No, it's, um, it's from ancient up until probably about the 1930s and um, just, you know, the, the very, very finest pieces from each era and each style through history. And again, I've been lucky enough to spend a little bit of time in Tokyo with Mr Arakawa been treated to one of his very very special uh, presentations and lectures on the history of jewelry and so his his collection really does trace this uh, reverence for for an enduring quality uh, something that goes beyond the the material worth yes of, absolutely of each piece. Yeah, yeah exactly mm -hmm. yeah I know Mr. Arakawa, is, his, his dream is to create a jewellery museum. It'll be somewhere in, in Japan, um, and hopefully that will happen uh, in the foreseeable future. And then we can all go and see this, oh. uh, this yeah, world-class mm -hmm. collection. Among the many things you've done, one of your great talents seems to be to bring people together through exhibitions, and notably a new major one, Gem Genève. So please tell us a bit more about this show. Gem Genève is a new um, uh, trade show uh, was for, for trade and private, uh, private collectors that was started by um, two uh, very well-known, um, well-respected 
um, dealers, uh, antique jewellery and, and gemstone merchants in Geneva. And they invited me to curate uh, a contemporary designer showcase as, as, part, as part of their mission, really to show the whole richness of, of the world. So, you know, from antique jewellery right up to contemporary pieces that we hope will become the antiques or the heirlooms of the future. And uh, yeah, that was, again, it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, and yeah, again, it gave me a reason to, to scour the world, to look for uh, individual designer jewelers, artist jewelers. Um, and, you know, I looked, I, st I still do, I look for jewelers who have a very strong point of view, very well-defined style, nothing derivative, something new, something that will, that will keep our jewellery world moving forward, you know, that would be part of this whole continuum of, of thousands of years of, of, of jewellery history. And it was, yeah, it was very exciting, very rewarding, because um, the designer showcase, we now call it the designer vivarium, was, was very well received. Um, we found that uh, visitors and collectors, well, they love to discover new talent, but they also love the opportunity to actually talk to the designers, to listen to them discuss and explain their creative vision. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I think you know, we, that's definitely, uh, it's definitely an, initi an initiative that I'm going to continue. Mm -hmm. Oh, good. Um, because um, so much of what you do uh, is, is telling um, us, your readers, about um, you know amazing talent and, and incredible people that you've found and come across, and and it, it's just so inspirational that there's so much talent out there, and that's what's so exciting um, that it seems to be a an ex, an expanding universe, and you're you're right on the button. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all luckily, corners of it. <laughs> luckily, I mean, I try. You know, I've got my antennae uh, switched on all the mm. time, always looking for you know for new talent, and you know it's good for me because I kind of test my. Um, test my own taste you know all the time when I look at something new I guess I've got you know filter of various criteria that I, that I that I apply and again all that all the criteria are informed uh, by by the historical perspective I find it's absolutely invaluable you have to know what's what's been in the past to understand what's truly new um, and I, t I think I find that the the best or most inspiring of contemporary design always has that mix of a kind of reverence for the past, reverence for the rules, and then the audacity to break them. Um, and I guess, you know, if, there's, mm. if I could pinpoint one thing I look for, it, it's that. Vivian, you've got a fabulous fantasy vault for us. You really have. Thank you. And of course, normally the jewel vault contains six special pieces from the careers of my guests, but you've actually chosen seven pieces to put inside your vault. So who am I to quibble with an expert of your standing? I just feel we should have asked you for double the amount because it's just fascinating hearing what, what you have to say about each piece. Um, so this seventh piece, this is a very uh, personal piece, isn't it? Something close to you, I believe. It is. I wonder if you could just let us hear it. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Where can you hear? Can you hear it? Yes. I've got it. I've just, yeah, just slipped it on. It's Isn't a, that wonderful? It's a um, charm bracelet that uh, belonged mm -hmm. to my to my late aunt, very dear aunt. I was particularly close to her. She was my mother's sister, younger sister. Um, and, yeah, the noise I find so evocative. 
um, because it would always announce her arrival into the room or into the house, and I was always so excited to see her. Um, and she was the one in the family who absolutely adored clothes and jewellery and, and makeup, and I was always in, in awe of, um, of, of the way she looked. And this um, charm bracelet is so much part of her, and, it, you know, again, it expresses that... Uh, the, the intimacy of the jewel, you know, the, the, how how intimate um, it is uh, in terms of its relationship to to the body and also to our persona, to our character. Um, and uh, when she passed away, she left me um, the charm bracelet, which of course I, I treasure. It's it's not at all valuable. It has got it's got some antique seals on it, quite a few, but I think they're not. I mean, they're not gold. They're you know what we called we used to call them gold filled um it's got some modern things on it but it, it it's just it's the it's the memories that the that that it holds for me um and the association and yeah and the sound um it's very very typical of the of the 19 1950s it just became so much part of her and her her persona and i just remember all her beautiful beautiful clothes and how they're all lined up in her in her wardrobe and how she wore the the bracelet on her beautifully manicured hands with those very long painted fingernails so um yeah it's deeply evocative and and deeply emotive for me um yeah, and as I say, particularly love the love the sound. Yeah, <clears throat> so she's the sort of epitome of femininity, in, in as you as you grew mm-hmm. up as a child. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot you of know. us have a figure who'd be like that. I'm yeah. just absolutely riveted by by all of it, um, and very very close to her. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing these these seven pieces. Now, you know the rule of the vault, <laughs> this is where I'm going to make you feel a little uncomfortable, is that you have to just pick one to keep safe forever. Oh, yes. <laughs> if, um, yeah, oh, out of, out of oh, all of these, uh, they're in, oh, in your fantasy vault. Dear. If you could have one, oh. and only one piece... Oh, dear, it is... Which is yours. Is, <laughs> I suppose... It would have to be the charm bracelet, humble, humble as it is, you know, with its, uh, you know, some of like tourist little tatty souvenirs mixed up with the, uh, with the antique seals. Um, yes, I guess, yeah, I guess it would have to be, it would have to be that because you know, in the end, yeah, jewelry is about uh, creating and preserving personal memories. Well, that's wonderful. Oh, Vivian. Thank you so much for sharing your fantasy jewel vault with us and taking us inside your jewel vault. It's just been such a magical oh, journey. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been really, really wonderful. I've enjoyed it. Well, thank you very much for sharing your life and work in jewellery through these seven beautiful objects. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we did recording it. You can find images of all the wonderful jewels we've been talking about, along with lots more information at our website. Just go to vipjewelvault.com forward slash podcast. And I want to hear from you. 
tell me, what special pieces would you put into your fantasy jewel vault and why? Every so often I'll be collating your stories into a podcast of their own. So please get in touch and of course rate, review and subscribe so we can keep these conversations as meaningful and joyous as we can. Thank you. Thank you.